In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. In the Lab time right now, Drew Doherty, John Harris. John, it's good to be with you. This is a big day, cut down day. We've seen names already trickle out about who's not going to be on the roster, who might be back in a little bit. Some other big names around the league, some former Texans, some notable names. But I thought D'Amico Ryans put it perfectly on Monday in his press conference at NRG Stadium as the day after the, the Saints preseason game. He said it's a delicate day. It's a sensitive day. It's tough. And it's one of those days that he went through as a player. He was, he was in the NFL for 10 years. I don't know that he was really ever on the bubble until maybe the end. And I can't remember exactly how his the end of his career went. 2014 was the last season with the Eagles, but I know he was never in jeopardy here. He just got traded, you know, right. salary can use salary cap casualty kind of, but he at least has been around enough to see a, you, you spend a decade playing. You spend some time as an assistant getting close to guys that you want to keep, but you know, just aren't all the way there. Tough day. And uh, it's never one of the fun ones, certainly in this building or any NFL building for that matter. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I've talked to so many NFL people around the the league from scouts to players to coaches, and, and you have too, Drew. And th- this is a day that everybody, everybody hates. The fans love it in some sense because they get to see what the, the 53 is going to be at the start of the season, or at least on Tuesday. Yeah, it crystallizes things a little bit. Right. And so it you as a as a fan, you start thinking about starting the season. Let's go. It's week one. We're getting excited about regular season football. It's training camp nonsense is behind us. Let's go. Let's do it. But man, there's so much that goes into it. And 90 guys in a in a locker room, every single one of them is at a different stage. And they're all thinking about this day in a different way. You know, the Damian Pierce's and Jalen Petries are like, yo, let's just get to Baltimore. Um, Laramie Tunsil is, you know, just all right, when when When's practice? We got to get ready for Baltimore. I got to get ready for um, David Ajabo and, and Odafe Owe. So then you've got players at the bottom of the roster going, man, I'm on the roster, I think. If I'm not, where do I go? What do I do? And then you got some near the bottom of the bottom of the roster that are like, okay, where's my next opportunity? Is my next opportunity in the NFL? Maybe it's not even in the NFL. Maybe it's XFL. Do I need to be thinking about getting a job mm-hmm. on Tuesday? It all those emotions are kind of floating through the locker room, and you know, coaches are kind of, <clears throat> as you mentioned, Demika Ryan's coaches are are dealing with that too because they got to have hard discussions. Now, the hardest discussions are coming from Nick Casario and Demika Ryan's, but Demiko said something pretty interesting uh, to us, Drew, that I I I thought about a lot. He said, "I want all ninety of these guys to have their careers in the NFL. I want them to all be on NFL roster in some way, shape, or form." Sure in 2023 and beyond and I, I thought that was interesting i don't think i've ever heard a coach say that now they, they might have thought it but i don't know if i've ever heard any one of them say it out loud and i just think that speaks to to D'Amico. i know nick feels that way too yeah, but about D'Amico's it been but, through it and seen right. friends get cut and he got yeah. traded i mean that had to be a just a bombshell to him so yeah he, he's got that human element to it right no doubt and so it makes this it's day and, and you know for you and i you know, we get to know these players. We interview them after practice. We talk to them. We get to know them a little bit. Um, and then some of them, you know, some rookies we don't get to know, but some guys that have been around here, you know, the, the Desmond Kings, the Christian Kirksey's, uh, the Roy Lopez. I mean, those guys, 
you know, we've gotten it over the last three years mm-hmm. and you look up and okay, well, they're not in the locker room anymore. And uh, you know, you, you've been there since 2009. I've been there since 2014, you know, you, you get used to it, but just because you get used to something doesn't mean you like it. Right. Um, and you hate seeing those players. I mean, Des, Des has a, a, a brother that has uh, Asperger's um, he's on the spectrum as well. So Des and I've talked about that because my son um, has the same. And so we've talked a lot about that, about family. So I wish them all well. I, I hate it because it feels like, okay, you got to get ready for the Ravens and we got to start preparing, you know, even our stuff for the Ravens. But you just hate that, you know, guys that you like uh, as people and as football players um, have have got to go uh, start something different, end up in a different location. I always find it fascinating at the end of games, Drew, when players meet at midfield and they're shaking hands and you're like, okay, those two didn't go to the same college. Oh yeah. They were in this rookie class with this mm-hmm. team. And now they've, you know, gone these their separate ways and now they're meeting again. So it's this, it's the biggest, smallest fraternity on the, on the planet in some sense. So it's a tough day, but it's necessary. It's necessary. 90 guys get a shot. You get down to 53. And then of course you got waiver claims. You got all kinds of ways to build your roster. So I'm curious to see what, uh, Nick and Amico are going to do having the number two priority spot on the waiver wire is going to be really interesting. Right. Um, my guess is there will be at least two that come in through that waiver process. One more thing on this, just kind of as a whole, all 90 guys in the locker room were, unless with the rarest of exceptions, all 91, 90 of those guys, each one of them, when they were in little league basketball or little league football, if they played or baseball or yep. track or whatever, soccer, they were, the kid that everyone in the league was like, dude, that guy's really good. Watch yeah, scared him. of. Yeah. Every, every single one of them, you yeah, know, was just like yeah. an absolute stud, clearly head and shoulders better than everybody in there. And some of them, like half of them are getting cut. Half of them are getting cut. So I, it's something I kind of think about every single time, you know, because I, I, I help coach, uh, you know, I've got little kids. Every time I'm out at something and I see some kid that's good, I, automatically think to myself, he's probably not going to do anything beyond college at most, right. If, right. if that. And so it's just, that's how rare these guys are. That's just something that it's like a good perspective. Yeah. Oh, my son, he, he had a triple today. Well, you know what? He's probably might not even play after junior high. So yeah, yeah. Not, not to throw water point. on youth sports or anything, but it's kind of more to magnify. Yes, these guys are getting cut, but they are not bums. They are, they were, it's a great point. Studs of studs back in the day. And it's just something that that's got to be tough to take for them in that regard, knowing that they've been pretty much the best. They were the best in college. I mean, think about your, your favorite college football team. If it was a really, really good one, maybe eight or nine went to yeah. the NFL from it. I mean, then that's like, right. they might've won a national title if that happened. So, yeah, I mean, we talk about the 2001 Miami hurricanes and I yeah. think, I think it was 45 guys were drafted greatest college football team of all yeah. time. There's a poll that ended up on Twitter. So I think it was Fox Sports put up a poll and they put five teams. They didn't put yeah, they put greatest tower, most talented college football teams of all time. And they didn't put the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. I'm like, you dope. That's an oversight. 45 players from that 2001 team ended up being drafted. And we talked about that. As that is the most rare. talented team. Yeah. That's 45 of 85 scholarship players. Uh-huh. So that means there were 40 that ended up not being drafted or not going to the NFL. So it's, you know, it, 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 every level filters it out as you go through. And, you know, it, 
it, you're right. I'm glad you brought that up because you're going to hear a lot of this. Oh, that guy's a bum. He can't play. And, mm. You know, it's some guy sitting at a keyboard that's never, you know, played a day of football in his life. And so there's that perspective that gets lost for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand it because, you know, fans are, you know, short, you know, short for fanatics. So I get it. I understand it to a degree, but the truth of it is there are going to be some really talented dudes that were all Americans that mm-hmm. were, you know, award winners. Um, Desmond King was a, I think he was a Jim Thorpe award winner back at Iowa. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of those guys that are going to be looking for opportunities. So yeah, they're, they're no bums at all. Not in that locker room and not in the NFL for sure. That's right. Okay. Let's move on to this. CJ Stroud looked good. We've talked a lot about what we saw from him uh, the other night. The ball placement, outstanding, which is something that gets talked about over and over and over again, justifiably so. Through the touchdown pass, zipped it in there to Nico, loved it. Damian Pierce was money on that drive as well to help set it up. Four runs for 27 yards. Yep. And then Stroud throws the 13-yarder on third down to Dalton Schultz. And then the touchdown to Nico Collins. Bing, bang, bada, boom. You're done for the preseason. I like. In between now and then, John, this is the Twitter question of the day. In between now and Sunday at noon central time, week one at Baltimore, what must CJ Stroud do? The basic premise that I, I or the basic thing that I would like to to see from CJ is when he walks up to the line, how many ever times that he walks up to the line of scrimmage, that he's able to look across at that Ravens defense and have an idea of what he's gonna see. And I'm not just talking about, ooh, there's Ajabo, uh, there's Owe, and there's Matabike, and oh, Roquan. No, I'm not talking about the personnel per se. And it's good personnel. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, okay, I'm seeing them in, there's Nickel, you know, there's no Marlon Humphrey, potentially. I don't think he's going to play in this one. Um, this is the personnel grouping they have typically out of this group. In the past, they like to play this coverage or they're this front. I want him to be able to get up to the line of scrimmage. A couple of things. Get out of the huddle with at least 25, 20 to 25 seconds left. Get them to the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Because Bobby Slowick can help him in those five to 10 seconds. Because Bobby can sit there and tell him, okay, here's the play. Get the play out. Get everybody to the line of scrimmage. And Bobby can say, hey, they're in this coverage. He can He can help him with that up until there's 15 seconds left. Right. So, but if, but it's CJ's got to have an idea of what he's going to see. Is this going to be cover three? Is this cover four? Is this man? Is it man match? Is it lurk? Is it Robert? All these different kind of coverages that you know that the Ravens will play. What are some of their giveaways? So live in that film room, get to a point where you have a process down. Now he's got two weeks now, but get mm-hmm. your process down for how you prepare for a team. What are the things that you want to know? What's the, you know, what are their sub package groupings? Do they like, you know, are they a blitz team? Are they a, are they a zone team? Are they a man match team? Do they like play a lot of man? Do they like fire zone? What are the things? And I know Mike McDonald, the, the coordinator for the Ravens is going to show CJ some things he hasn't seen, but at least if he has a pretty solid understanding of their base schemes and a lot of the things their, their pet plays, then you're, and then CJ is going to be better off because there's going to be something he sees in that game. That's new for sure. Sure. absolutely new for sure. And so there's going to be some time he's going to go over to Bobby and go, I don't know, Bobby, we didn't see, I haven't seen that. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but if he can have a basic understanding that doesn't happen too often, then I think the Texans offense will be okay. What will slow it down 
will be, you know what, there's an unblocked guy because they thought it was so they had seen it before and they weren't right. sure what, you know, what, how the rules, you know, a protection were supposed to apply. And then CJ mm-hmm. gets hit fumble and, you know, away you go. Um, I think the biggest thing though, is if he can get some help from Bobby during that game. But the biggest thing to me is just being mentally prepared physically. You, you mentioned it, Drew ball placements on point. I mean, you, you know, you and I have been talking about that since, you know, May of 2022 going into his last yeah, year. I mean, he's State. one of the most accurate college football quarterbacks of all time. Yeah. I mean, it's his ball placement is incredible. And so you want to give him time to be able to do that. So the game is going to feel really, really fast. But I think the best thing for CJ was going against that Dolphins defense. Yeah. That was really good for his confidence. Um, this is how fast it's going to be and probably even faster. So they got to put together a game plan that allows that to flourish. I, I think it is going to sound crazy, but they got to let CJ uncork one long, deep, early, get some of that angst out. Maybe you hit it, maybe you don't, but just put the Ravens on notice that you're going to send the ball down the field a little bit. Um, and and no, really put you, pressure I, on I kind of think, don't you think from what we saw on that first series, the one that we, the Texans did not score, don't you think a, Showing that in the preseason, and I know, hey, it's preseason tape, whatever. But don't you think that is maybe, in part, a little bit of a message, like, hey, this maybe. Is, this club is in the bag, NFL. Just just be ready, you know. I think, yeah, absolutely. The reason I talk about not going to be able know, to stack the box like you did last year against Pierce. Yeah, know? honestly, honestly, I'm I'm not even really concerned about that. Drew. I think I think what happens in a game is players get so amped up in a game, especially right. quarterback. And then all of a sudden, as a quarterback, you know, coaches are like, hey, let's run this play. And they think it's an easy throw, but it's not because the quarterback's so amped up. The easiest throw that you can make as a quarterback is to take three steps and haul off and throw as far as you can because you get all that. If you think about it, just throwing deep, (laughs) and you get all that angst kind of out of your body. I mean, even if you throw it 10 yards over, you now have just like let all that stress and everything go. And now you Mm -hmm. can loosen up and start to make those throws so i think it has kind of a three-pronged approach really you put the ravens on on blast you then maybe you hit it maybe you don't which would be great if you did and then thirdly you get all that angst out as a quarterback and now you can settle in and now he can make those throws sometimes when you ask the quarterback to make the first third down throw and third and eight and now you're asking to throw into three guys and a guy that's all amped up and juiced up is going to throw at 100 miles an hour probably high could be intercepted, but man, you throw it deep, could be intercepted. You know, it's it's happened before, but really what you're doing, um, if the guy does pick it off, it's a long punt, I guess. It's it's yeah. kind of the worst thing uh, that could happen, but the good kind of outweighs the bad for everybody involved in that. So I'd like to see them kind of open it up, and they did the other day, and I, and I think that helps. And CJ dropped it right in a damn bucket. Um, so I do think that, but it's just the biggest thing is just knowing – what you're looking at on the other side of the line of scrimmage, having an idea of what you could see because post post snap, you might see some crazy stuff, but trust your eyes after the snap, mm-hmm. know what you're going to see. Trust your eyes after the snap. So there's got to be a lot of a, a mental work that he's got to do between now and then, and then take that process and apply it 16 more times throughout the year. Um, and that's going to be tough as a rookie because there's going to be a lot of things he sees. And I'm like, and he walks over to the sidelines and he goes, Gerard, Bobby, never seen that before. Right. So he's going to have to come to grips with that and, and hopefully he does it pretty quickly. All right. 
John, it's always good to talk with you. Be strong. Yes. We'll see you again very soon. Sound good? Sounds great. Bye.